0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail.
1: (laughs) My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. My car is broken. Ah, Stressed out about that. I'm oh, sorry, dude. I have a, That's a, never fun. A 2010 Volkswagen Beetle, and it likes to turn off when it stops now. <laughs> so I like to restart sign. it at every intersection. That's never a good sign. Uh, but I'm not here to, to dump my problems on you, dear I have, listeners. No, I are not here. come here to praise Whitney's car, but to. No, that's not right. How's that, go? <laughs> <laughs> I come to Barry Caesar, not to praise. I come him. to Barry Whitney's car, not yeah. to praise it. Yeah, I I have a, a Volkswagen Beetle, and I've named uh, named him Werner. Nice, Werner von Bugbug. Bug. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're the kind of person who names your car. But my I've, my first car was named Carmine. Oh, isn't that cute? I thought so. Mm. <laughs> Anyway, Do you uh, name your car? Write us
0: in I'd be curious Anyway, this is We've Got Mail This is the podcast where you control the conversation You email us Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net And uh, we also have a P.O. Box For those who prefer physical letters Whitney, what is our P.O.
1: Box? Yeah, send us a physical letter P.O. Box 641565 Los Angeles, California 90064
0: Anyway, we read your letters We answer your questions We respond to your critiques Um... We're here for you, uh, so let's not dilly dally
1: any further, Whitney. Yeah. What is our first email? Here's a letter from Todd. Hi, Hello, Todd. Todd, welcome to Hell, Mister and Mrs. Caineble. <laughs> a hell of an uh, intro. Uh, that is a reference to a 1992 film called Stay Tuned. Oh yeah! yeah. Sorry, that took me a second. Nicely done. <laughs> I knew there was a reference to something. I couldn't uh, put it I, it. And I haven't seen all of that movie, but I oh, know I know I the have. Characters it's, man. Been yeah. it's been years. It's been years. Have you ever watched a an awkward cult classic movie like The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai mm. and wondered what it would have been like if it had been headed by an experienced or even premier director like, say, Joe Dante? Or if maybe Robot Jocks had been directed by someone like James Cameron and had a bit of a bigger budget on that one, too. Uh, that would be Pacific Rim. Yeah, well, I was about to say, uh, don't get me wrong, I have a funness for movies like that. I was just wondering, uh, watching Firewalker the other night, although well, that one is, was by an experienced director with actual acclaim. But I can't help but wonder what would have uh, what would have been if they had gotten a little more care. What about you two? Are there cult classics do you, that you think could have been improved by a bigger budget and a, or a better director? What do you think the results would have been for the films you're thinking of? Uh, have a good evening, Todd. Um, so we're talking about cult
0: classics here, and one mm. of the ideas of a cult classic is that it's a movie that doesn't have a gigantic audience Hmm. it's a movie that has a small but passionate audience that really loves it for for what it is regardless of whether or not it's entirely successful
1: I think um, uh, Bruce Campbell said uh, a a hit film is uh, 10 people or it's a million people seeing a movie 10 times and a cult classic is 10 people seeing a movie a million times exactly
0: there is definitely uh, cult movies They come from anywhere. They come from uh, small, independent uh, filmmakers who just had a dream and managed to get it out there. They come from big studios that failed to sell a movie appropriately or perhaps make it up to spec. Uh, But it hit people really, really hard. For me, the idea of what happens when we take a cult movie and we give it a big budget and a big director, we're kind of seeing a lot of that now. Like there's a lot Mm. of like big movies that, frankly, you would be. It feels like this should be a a one million dollar production from the 1980s. Mm. I I think the first movie I can remember thinking to myself, "I can't believe this is a Hollywood movie. This feels like a cult movie. If it was a cult movie, it would be beloved." uh But because it was a big Hollywood movie, people went, "Oh yeah," and then they sort of moved on with their Mm. lives. Uh, And that's actually Snakes on a Plane.
1: Oh, there you go. yeah, it, that, that should have been made for like half a million dollars Exactly
0: It's it's a movie starring Samuel L. Jackson He's escorting a witness from I think Hawaii to the mainland mm. And along the way in order to kill the witness The gangster uh, has released... Like hundreds of poisonous snakes, and like sprayed pheromones on them so that they go completely wild on the plane. And now Samuel Jackson has to kill all these snakes Mm -hmm. on the plane. Uh, When that movie came out, there was immediate interest
1: from a cult-like audience who were interested. uh, Definitely helped, and that's the way they used to sell these cult movies was they'd have a really lurid title, some a really awesome uh, you know poster art, yeah, uh, and. No script or movie yet. Yeah. Uh, they just sort of sell this idea to a lot of local cinemas, and a lot of like Z grade producers could throw something together really fast yeah. and sell it and give it to the theater right. already sold. This may
0: or may not be good, but by God, you will see snakes on a plane. That's mm-hmm. the idea. The problem is, is that the movie was a major studio production and it had a major studio budget and a major studio release. And so when it came out, these small group of people who were excited to see a movie called Snakes on a Plane, they saw it. But they weren't enough to make it a gigantic hit. Uh, so the movie ultimately kind of underperformed. And nowadays, I don't even think it's generally considered a cult classic. So what well, I'm uh, concerned with... What is I, the I ad-
1: appreciate about Snakes yeah. on a Plane in particular is when that uh, sort of momentum began to build. Yeah. Uh, they decided to make it more like an exploitation movie. They went back and shot a few scenes. Yeah. Uh, some fan uh, heard that Samuel L. Jackson was in a film called Snakes on a Plane yeah. And improvised the the motherfucker line
0: Yeah, The line, I've um, had it with these motherfucking snakes on yeah. this motherfucking plane uh,
1: That wasn't in the original cut of the movie nope. They went back and shot it because that was such a good idea And you filmmakers. can tell the
0: lighting is a little different on yeah. Samuel L. Jackson in that shot um, And
1: they decided to add a little bit more violence You notice yeah. that the sex scene has nothing to do with the rest of the movie Because they shot that one separately That's all B-movie stuff Yeah that's all like legit, we're going to cobble something together and make it more lurid as we go, as ideas come to us kind yeah. of stuff. That it got a major studio release in mainstream theaters was the bizarre part. Indeed, and I feel as though that ultimately kind of hurt the movie. I feel like there's a lot of
0: movies that are being made now that are being made by filmmakers with cult-like sensibility, but they're being they're so expensive mm. that even though it's still kind of a cult movie... There's no way it's ever going to make its money back. I feel like something like Real Steel, even though we're finally getting another one of those because... When Real Steel it's came a out...
1: TV series, I think. They're getting but... a TV
0: series. When Real Steel came out, it's a movie with Hugh Jackman as a deadbeat dad, who's also a robot boxer, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a really good movie. Like, I like that movie a lot, but it was kind of a weird culty thing, and it didn't make a lot of money, and the reason why we're getting a follow-up TV series now is because it got a cult audience. People mm-hmm. just wouldn't stop talking about it. It was made consistently low-key successful. So... I feel like we're getting that now. We're getting that constantly. I feel like that's what Valerian um, was, that's uh, what Monster the, uh, Trucks was, and it's just they don't make money when you well, throw consider, that much money at them.
1: Uh, but they do if you consider that uh, comic books used to be considered fodder for B-movie series, like Saturday Morning serials. True. Uh Mostly that was like a technology thing. We didn't mm-hmm. have the special effects to make uh, superheroes look that great on screen. Oh yeah, we Spider-Man would have looked were,
0: terrible, and, and did actually. They did a live-action Spider-Man uh, in the 70s. Uh, Until, Uh, like, the late 90s. When they did
1: Superman in the late 70s, they put every dollar into that thing. That was Mm -hmm. a hugely expensive production. The tagline uh, was,
0: you will believe a man can fly, because before then, you wouldn't.
1: Yeah, (laughs) people made fun of George Reeves, because uh, he looked silly in the outfit. Even George Reeves is rather infamously... was rather ashamed of that. Yeah, not ashamed, lo- but embarrassed, loathsome of that series. Yeah, embarrassed of it. Yeah. Um, they, they made a film about it called Hollywoodland, yeah. where uh, Ben Affleck played George Reeves, and that's a pretty good movie. Actually, all the Ben um,
0: Affleck stuff is great, but there's this the, like, the
1: wraparound mystery. There's isn't this so Adrian interesting, Brody's but, yeah. investigating.
0: Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was actually a murder or whatever like that. Mm. All of that shit completely disposable. Adds nothing to the film.
1: All the Ben Affleck stuff ben is great. Affleck ben is, ben Affleck Affleck's been Oscar yeah. nominated for that movie. He's really good. Movie. Um, but I'm thinking of something like uh, a filmmaker like James Gunn who was a cult yeah. filmmaker and was making these really completely insanely lurid, trashy movies for trauma back in yeah. the day. Uh, and now he's he, doing that shit and, and he's do, doing well with it, actually. You're well, right. he, he's making a lot of money with it. Yeah. Uh, and he, he made like Guardians of the Galaxy and also The Suicide Squad, yeah. the second one, not the, the first uh, one. And Peacemaker. He's doing that now with yeah, much more of a lurid sensibility. I haven't seen the TV show, but uh, when you look at those movies, I think they're kind of hurt by their big budgets. Mm. Uh, that kind of dirty sense of humor and dark sensibility yeah. benefits from feeling like somebody's getting away with something. Yeah, that they're slipping it to you around the mainstream rather than being filtered through a big studio. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I
0: think we we put way too much. Um, we, we we put too much emphasis on money yeah. in just in general. And I think if if you're willing to meet a movie at least part of the way there, movies don't need to be cost nearly as much as they do. Oh, goodness, no. And I think that there's a lot of charm and there's a lot of excitement to be found when you're watching a movie that's trying to do a lot with a little. Mm. And I would also argue that the idea that like, oh, wouldn't Robot Jacks be better if James Cameron did it I disagree. I think a lot of the times the appeal of something like Robot Jocks isn't just that there are robot fights. It's that they're being made by someone who is eccentric and quirky and actually interested in making a movie like Robot Jocks at a time when no one else was interested in putting forth the effort to making uh, a movie about giant robots fighting each other in 1989 on a very low budget. And I'm sorry, those robot fights look awesome. Those robot fights are
1: amazing. Like the rest of the movie around it, it's kind of just okay, but the robot fights are amazing. I I actually kind of like. The, like, it is really low budget, but I yeah. do like the world that they managed to construct. Uh, yeah,
0: there's definitely good stuff in it. There's, there's just, like yeah. a,
1: a lot of little, uh, like, Verhovian details in the background. There's yeah. a lot of posters around saying, be sure to reproduce, have a lot of kids. Like, yeah. there's something wrong with the population of the planet. Yeah. Uh, and there's one scene where uh, one of the main characters is invited over to dinner, and they're saying, what are we having? we're having meat tonight. Real meat. Real meat. And And it's it's one hot dog. It's a single hot dog and this giant pot of stew. So there's like a little bit of a dystopian element to that movie as well. But I
0: just feel like if that was very mainstream, you probably wouldn't have those ensectricities that make Robot Dogs interesting. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, like, maybe you got a, Joe Dante to do it, but I, that's, you know, one, so many of them.
1: There's one cult filmmaker who I feel like would always have benefited from a bigger budget, and that's Don Coscarelli. Yeah, uh, yeah he, that's fair. I, I like Phantasm a lot. I think he did well with what literally had with Phantasm. Yeah. But you watch something like uh, The Beastmaster, or especially John Dies at the End, especially which is this, John Dies at this the end, big, yeah. epic, sort yeah. of uh, dimension-hopping thing with, like, creatures in multiple dimensions, and people are taking drugs and hallucinating mm-hmm. other dimensions— uh, that's straining against the limits of its budget. It's supposed to be like gigantic kingdom halls and all the rest. And yeah. it's just like people walking through a park. What, what about the opposite?
0: What if mm. there's, like, take take a lot of the cult, we're talking about cult movies that are kind of good on their own terms. Yeah. There's a lot of cult movies that are kind of good ironically. They're kind yeah, of, yeah. people are appreciating them, perhaps not on the level in which they were intended, but at least they're appreciated. Mm. Take, take the works of, for example, the majority of the works of Ed Wood. Okay. Like it's on like Plan 9 from Outer Space. If Ed Wood had money...
1: Had, like, time and money. If if he had actual
0: time and money to make that... That would probably still be interesting because it would still be Ed Wood making it, and he still yeah. is a very weird storyteller. But I kind of would have been fascinated to see what Ed Wood I, could have done with money.
1: I would like to see, like, Ed, because if Ed Wood had a lot of money, he'd be working probably for a big studio, right? He wouldn't just be some independent contract like, probably not, guy, probably not. Which would mean he'd have a lot more studio oversight, yeah. Which means there would be a lot more interference on his script. Mm, that's true. There'd be a lot of people running, running, doing like rewrites and punch mm. up and all, everything. So demanding reshoots. The script would. Ostensibly makes sense because the way it is it doesn't make a lick of sense, right? And that's why we like it. That's a good point. We we like it because it's actually kind of shoddily put together yeah. and kind of nonsensically written.
0: Yeah, the cult movies are kind of a an antidote hmm. to the mainstream. Yeah, um, and that's I think that's why we so need when, them. Yeah, I think it's so why we you crave pour, them when you pour you know? money
1: into it. It. Does it doesn't really matter if the content is the same? Yeah, the sensibility is different. When you watch a cult movie, you're not only getting this quirky story of these weirdo characters mm-hmm. that wouldn't fit in a, a mainstream Hollywood film, right? But you also get that store the sort of like sub narrative from the filmmaker themselves. Yeah, you get that freedom also qu- quirky weirdo. You get
0: that freedom to not work by committee yeah. and make weird choices that Would, may or may yeah. not work.
1: Would Herschel Gordon Lewis have made something like, uh, you know, Two Thousand Maniacs? If he had had a big budget and studio oversight. No, he didn't want to. No, that's true. He, he tried gore because it was the only thing, way he could make money. Yeah. He could make money with gore. Uh, if Would he have made money if he had made other kinds of films? you have had money. Maybe. We yeah. to say what kind of filmmaker he would have been. Yeah. I'm really interested in the kinds of filmmakers who have had both small and big budgets. Mm. People like Joe Dante. Who yeah. I think works really well with both. True. Um, uh, then you have people like Sam Raimi, who I think is far more interesting when he has lower budgets. Agreed. Ditto Peter Jackson. I think Same. his, his low-budget movies are a lot more interesting. Yeah. But then you have somebody like uh, Spielberg or James Cameron, who function a lot better when they do have unlimited budget.
0: That's true. They, they yeah. do. When they have every tool in the toolbox, they're yeah. able to create something a bit stronger than, I mean, granted they made amazing stuff when they were working on low budgets, yeah, but, but they, they never, they never let technology make them complacent. They always pushed. Yeah. yeah. I think that made them exciting. I agree.
1: Anyway, uh, I, thank, I would yeah. love to see uh, the cult film, the low budget cult film that George Lucas makes today. I know. I, I, I've, I, I feel like we lost George Lucas at I know, some point. Like I he, made, agree. he made Star Wars, and he just disappeared. Well, he produced
0: a lot of interesting stuff, like with Lucasfilm. Uh, he with Lucas
1: he film? did, but I think yeah. Lucasfilm was still running on the steam of of the success of Star Wars. Mm. So a lot of the things he produ- a lot of the things he produced, uh, were. Very reminiscent of Star Wars stuff like yeah. Willow and Strange you're th- Magic. You're thinking about the big the stuff, fantasy though. I'm stuff. talking about
0: the little stuff like Mishima, uh, Life in Four Chapters. Oh, was that a or, Lucasfilm? Yes, it oh. was a Lucasfilm. I, well, or uh, I take it back, uh, More American Graffiti, which is a very ambitious and artistically sequel. Yeah. Um, Twice Upon a Time, which is a very unique mm-hmm. uh, animated film experience. Um, they, he, oh, I he know made, he produced he, quite a few interesting things. He
1: produced Red Tails. Red That was a historical picture. So, not an adventure film.
0: No, it's quite good, actually. I like that movie. It's pretty
1: good, yeah. That
0: right. looks a little corny But I feel like yeah. that's fine um, Yeah it works Anyway we should move on Thank you for the letter oh. Hopefully we
1: answered that To your satisfaction I realize no. we took it In a slightly different direction oh. But we have a different take On the idea uh, Here is a letter from Tim Hello Tim Hi hey, Tim uh, Hello there Bibbs And Rockmeister McCool Oh you can call me Rockmeister McCool Please If you wish Call him Rockmy. Um, I hope this finds you In good health Ish Yeah uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not sick I'm just exhausted uh. I'm, I'm tired I'm sick and tired Of being sick and tired mm. Um I had a question about film producers and Oscar discourse. Ah. I personally don't really pay attention to the Oscars, but I'm connected with film Twitter and get a lot of movie news and discourse that way. Recently, I saw people bringing up an argument I've seen before but hadn't really considered. The argument slash question is, how does it make sense that a film can win Best Picture, but the director may not win Best Director at the same time? Ah, I Googled this a little and learned that when a film wins best picture, the producers take home the award. This is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see how this makes sense, but I also realize when I'm thinking about a movie and all the talented people working together to make it happen, I, perhaps many people, like many people who engage in this discourse... Never considered the producer, mm-hmm. nor have I ever con- uh, had, had a friend who said, Yo, you should see this film. It's produced by Blank. Um, I've said this on occasion in reference to movie studios like Blumhouse, but not individual producers. This is a blind spot I hadn't really noticed before. My mm-hmm. questions are twofold. Do you feel that producers ought to get much more credit, recognition, or fame for their work? And what are your thoughts on the the director deserves credit for Best Picture discourse? Uh, thanks for all the hard work you do in making your podcasts, Tim.
0: Uh, yeah, no worries. Those are two kind of different
1: questions. Uh, so which one do you want to take first? Um, I guess let's talk about uh, sort of the the Producers Award. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to Best Picture of the Year, you're kind of giving the award to everybody who worked on it, aren't you? Kind of. It's but, it's, it's
0: symbolic to a lot but of it, yeah. the,
1: the manager... The boss of the whole production is going to be the producer.
0: Indeed. And uh, there is no Best Producer Academy Award. That's what perhaps, Best Picture is. I know.
1: Perhaps it should be called that, but mm-hmm. then we don't really have Best Picture. Well, it's it's you have Best Direction, mm-hmm. uh, and the Best Picture would be Best Production, yeah. wouldn't
0: it? Yeah. And a producer is a bit of an amorphous thing. There are a lot of people who are producers and do different jobs or take on different responsibilities. Is why oftentimes there are many producers. But a producer's job, essentially, is to put together the whole production mm-hmm. um, and to basically say, hey, let's make this movie. Let's hire that director. Mm. Here's their budget. I can raise that budget. I can sell this yeah. overseas. And even the producer
1: yeah. will look, take a pass at the script and say, Oftentimes, this is a great script, but we need to cut this scene. Mm. I'll hire this writer to do it a little punch-up. Some producers you know, are more hands-on little than, little than others. Some producers
0: yeah. are kind of just there because by adding clout to the movie, like a big actor might be a producer without actually doing... without actually doing very much mm-hmm. behind the scenes but their name is now yeah attached but because to because I'm just throwing a name out there I don't know how true this is but like because like Brad Pitt is attached mm-hmm. we can make more money than if we didn't have Brad Pitt attached right. so he becomes a producer um A producer's job is is very important, All of those
1: things bring to, it's not just, a a a film is not just the creative elements. It's actually a lot of organizing and bureaucracy. Yeah. It's a lot of gathering the team together. Yeah. And that's an important job. That's why the producer gets credit for Best Picture, because they're the ones who are ultimately overseeing every, like, the whole of the production. Exactly. So whether so so and often and
0: let's also be clear here especially in larger productions directors are often also the producer on the picture mm. not universally but often uh so James Cameron, for example, won Best Director for Titanic and then proceeded to win a producing award for Titanic. Mm. Also happens.
1: Um, but so, that, that's not always the case. No, it is uh, not always the so, Sometimes the, case. the director uh, is only interested in the creative element, and mm. that's what the audience is responding to. The yeah. direction, the editing, yeah. the, uh, the cinematography, yeah. <laughs> the acting.
0: Yeah, Best Producing as like a, an award is a much more industry award. The mm. audience doesn't really... Uh, they know how the film came together, but they don't necessarily know the work that went into that. Whereas almost every other Academy Award, best sound, well, I can hear that. Best costume design, I can see those costumes. Best acting, I can see that performance. You don't necessarily see a person who wrangled a location we weren't supposed to be able to get but made a lot of deals in order mm. to make that happen and money exchange hands and also uh, they were able to get a cinematographer out of a previous contract. Or something. like, There's a lot of things mm. that go into making a movie that a director so, uh, shouldn't have to worry about because they're exactly. worried about telling the story.
1: They're, they're they're making, they're shooting the script. They're yeah. busy making the movie itself. And but, now, to be fair, there's uh, a
0: lot of crappy producers who will oh goodness, basically yeah, just throw their name on a project and be shitty about it or will sometimes ruin a film. There's also a a lot of crappy directors a lot of crappy actors there's crappy people um, at any job so
1: with uh, with the avengers series that's changing a lot because yeah. the individual directors i think matter less to those movies mm-hmm. than the producer and that is a man named kevin feige in that particular instance uh, yeah. yes that's, because I think that's the, that that series of films is mm-hmm. and you know i'm this is old news at this point but yeah. they're produced like a, ser- a television series yeah where each individual episode might have an individual director but they are strung together as if they're going to connect to a season finale eventually. And, yeah. and that's the way, what, Kevin Feige's overseeing. Yeah. The story and the arc and the characters and everything, the way all of these stories are interconnect, aren't being written by a, a single ambitious screenwriter or a team of screenwriters. Yeah. They're come together by Kevin Feige, who well, then hires the screenwriters.
0: That's, let's, let's not give him too much credit. He's got a whole team. But regardless, but he, it, yeah, he's, yeah. the buck stops there. When you say something like, oh, I never go see a movie because it was produced by a certain person, if you'll go see anything MCU, mm. you will. <laughs> because it's ultimately Kevin Feige, and there aren't many over the course of history, but there have been super producers: uh, over, Selznick uh, yeah. Robert
1: Evans is another he, one. Yep, uh, uh, George Lucas yeah, as well, is, is uh, to, a
0: to a very different extent in a very different field. Corman, mm. you know, Corman's name is yeah, like, has yeah. a certain uh, schlock and premature. Uh, and of course, back in the old days of the studio system, you brought up Selznick. Uh, the producers ran the whole studio. It was basically the studio that was going to mm. win that award. So, um, so yeah, there's best picture goes to that figurehead type role that may or may not include the director. Multiple producers are usually awarded for every single film. And in the fact, there's oftentimes there's actually a limit. I think it's like three unless there's like extenuating circumstances, like a maximum of three producers can get an Oscar right now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so oh, yeah, there's more but this, pieces than
1: that. But this goes to uh, the second part of the question, which is why aren't directors awarded for best picture? Yeah. It, because it's a completely different discipline. Directing is. is a very specific art. It's, yeah we like to we're still really stuck in mm-hmm. a lot of modern discourse on auteur theory. We are. The idea that uh there should be a single author mm-hmm. behind a film production and yeah. it's a collaborative is,
0: medium but there's one person There's who one gets person the say. who's
1: going to ultimately have all the creative say and uh since it since at least the 1950s it's yeah. been sort of the primary way of thinking about the movie as the director is the one author is the final author of the yeah movie. we like I've to think heard, of yeah, it like
0: oh it's steven spielberg's west side yeah, story um, it's john carpenter's halloween there
1: have been like movements that. in the past to get uh directors credited for best picture there have also been uh efforts to get the screenwriter's name above the the yeah. title of the film so instead of, instead of going to see steven spielberg's west side yeah. story you'd be seeing uh, Tony Kushner's West Side yeah. Story, because he was the one who wrote the screenplay. And for there that are a one. few
0: very noteworthy screenwriters who've been able to get that. People like Neil Simon. Yeah.
1: Like Neil Simon's The Odd Couple. Like mm. he was just that well known. That well, kind of uh, thing. Arthur uh, Miller's The Crucible. Ke- kind of Kevin thing. Smith is another one. He's sure. Better, better known. He's for also his, a director. But he's yeah. directing, but he's better known for his writing. Uh, yeah. I, I uh, for better or for worse, Joss Whedon is another one of those yeah. people. Is best known for his writing than his directing. Yeah, fair enough. Because uh, his s- directing but, is. is Okay, at best. I mean, he 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 did a, a completely competent job on that Avengers film. Yeah, right? the, did, fir- the first one. He 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 he, he, he made he, he
0: made, made a, that a, thing work. I'll, I'll give him that. But at the same I've, time, I've descri- I've it's not an impressive yeah. cinema. It's just he kept all the pieces together. Yeah, which is yeah, and it's, no it's, small feat. But it's, big, it's,
1: slick entertainment. Yeah, I'm um, just not
0: super impressed by his directorial like la- storytelling lack of style. Talent. He just, yeah. <laughs> just kind of
1: got out of the way and mm-hmm. let the characters do what they did. Yeah, uh, but um. Yeah, the direction is a different discipline from writing, is a different discipline from acting. Uh, Best Picture is going to be all of those Mm. uh, disciplines put together, uh, hence Best Production. So they give it Mm. to the producer, because they're ostensibly the ones who got all those elements together.
0: Right. Uh, A lot of people are saying right now something to the effect of, um, like, uh, oh, Dune was nominated for Best Picture, but but Denis Villeneuve mm. was not nominated for Best Director. What? Did the movie direct itself? Yeah. And what I'm not hearing is people say, they're like, oh, Nightmare Alley was nominated for Best Picture. Mm. Guillermo del Toro wasn't nominated. Did Nightmare Alley direct mm. it? No, you're picking your battle.
1: Yeah, yeah You're picking true. your
0: battle. And to be fair, I'm not a huge fan of Dune. I'm going to say this right now. Mm. I don't think the storytelling in Dune... Is anything more than clear, which to be fair is not a small feat given by <laughs> students. It's
1: impossible. I will impossible give you to that.
0: tell kind of story. I will give you that. Mm-hmm. It's a complicated story and he made it clear. I'm also not very impressed by that. I think that's kind of like the baseline you could ask for. But what I will say in the case of Dune, that's an impressive production. Mm-hmm. The scale of it, the 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 impressive cast that they put together, all of the production that they put together, every single aspect of the production is impressive. The thing that I'm least impressed with in that movie is the storytelling.
1: <laughs> so
0: ultimately, that one makes perfect sense to me that Denis Villeneuve wasn't nominated for Best Director, even though the picture was. If he was nominated, would, be, would I be mad? Eh, maybe, hmm. but I'd be in the minority on that. But I think in that case, I get that. I think that is more impressive from a production angle than from a directorial angle, because ultimately I see nothing in that movie that I basically, if you said, hey, what would a Denis of Dune look like? I imagine that. (laughs) Like, I don't, (laughs) it's basically exactly what I expected him Mm. to do with it. And while that's not, it's not incompetent or anything, it's not bad per se. I'm also not terribly impressed by it. Whereas I was impressed when he did Arrival. I think Arrival is done with so much sensitivity Mm. and so much nuance that I think sometimes Denis Villeneuve doesn't feel the need to get to. He's a very literal filmmaker mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I, that, I, think, I feel like in he, that case, he really pushed himself
1: and fact, he actually uh, really he, deserved
0: an Oscar nomination for that, which he got.
1: He, he was the perfect director to do another Blade Runner film because yeah. he and Blade Runner's director, Ridley Scott, mm-hmm. uh, are both uh, master stylists who are only going to be as good as their screenplay. Yeah, uh, they They don't really care about... The script or the story. They're going to yeah. shoot the scene they think looks the best.
0: And to be fair, I want to make this abundantly clear. Mm. When I talk about, like, oh, Denis Villeneuve, you know, maybe didn't... if Him leaving him out of Best Director isn't so bad. Mm. Um, it's also important to remember that Denis Villeneuve is nominated for Best Picture for Dune. Because he produced and, it. <laughs> and Best Adapted Screenplay. So he's covered... He still might actually get one of those. Like, he's definitely yeah, been honored for his yeah, work.
1: We, we uh, do need to, we're going to finish off this conversation in yeah, a we second, but a, yeah. uh, we, we do need to remember that when we do get into these heated arguments about the Oscars and, and yeah. what should and should not be uh, nominated, mm-hmm. we are just uh, playing fandom games. This is the Ooh. who would win in a fight. This is James it's Bond fantasy versus football. Indiana Jones yeah. uh, versus James Bond kind of conversation. Yeah. It's Except it's actually kind of happening. Kind of, but Kinda. The, the point is, we're just we're we're picking our fandom, aren't we? Yeah. This is just fandom conversation. Yeah, and it is. It is a popularity and contest, and that's fun. Yeah, i have those I'm, conversations. I crit,
0: there's a lot of things that I criticize that I still am able to enjoy on some level. Mm. The Oscars are one of them. There's a lot to criticize with the Oscars. I still enjoy the conversation about them. Yeah. It's easy for me to get wrapped up in it. Same thing with, um, I don't know, talking about Disney. As a corporation, Disney does a lot of things that I think are entirely worthy of criticism and in some cases I think are just abhorrent. Mm. They also produce a lot of works of art from a lot of different people, and I think some of them are really great, and I can talk about that, and I can appreciate that. So it's complicated. It's a complicated uh, uh, dynamic there. But in any case, I hope that answers your question. Um, Yeah. There's it's I, I get that it's weird
1: but um hopefully that covers it. What do we got next? Uh here's a letter from David. Hello David. Hey, David. Um uh dear Mrs. Whitney I f- uh, hope you find gentlemen are both doing well and staying self- safe and healthy. I loved your recent review of uh Joachim Trier's The Worst Person in the World. Oh cool. And in person your discussion of how it's a great movie about what it's like to be in your 20s. <laughs> Whilst I did, didn't did absolutely love the film overall in the way that some others have, I one aspect I really did love was its depiction of the quarter-life crisis point in one's life. Yeah. As someone who has just turned 26 years old, ah. uh, it's, uh, is single and is suddenly seeing all the people they grew up with either getting married or having kids, this movie hits points in a hard yet moving way. Uh, I liked your comparisons to Francis Ha, one of my favorite movies, mm-hmm. and Metropolitan, a film that has been on my watch list for a while. I wanted to ask, what other movies about being in your twenties do you love and recommend? I feel like Kelly Reichardt's Old Joy, mm. although I'm one hundred percent certain, uh, I'm not one hundred percent certain of the characters' ages, also fits nicely into this category. As does uh, another Noah Baumbach film, Mistress America. That's mm. that's one I would actually recommend. Oh, I actually yeah. really like that movie a lot. Um, yeah but I'd love to hear any similar suggestions that I can uh, add to my watch list. Thanks for taking the time to read my letter, uh, Thank and thanks for all the amazing weekly shows you gift us with. Best thank to you David. so much. Well, thank you.
0: Yeah, and that's actually a really good question. That's something that people didn't used to talk about the quarter-life crisis very mm. often when I was growing up. It of well, took me my surprise when I was in my it, 20s. It's
1: a, a, re- a phenomenon that only recently was given a name. Yeah. This sort of uh, mid-20s malaise of... Uh, a, a, lack of confidence over your lack of success to mm-hmm. your point your life up to this point well for
0: me in my particular case what it felt to me was like and and your mileage might vary and if you're young enough that you haven't mm. hit this yet get ready uh but for <laughs> me uh you know I I was in school I had structure until my mid to late 20s and then when I was now on my own devices and it's basically like okay cool here's your diploma Figure your shit out. And I'm yeah. like, oh, weren't you supposed to help with that? No, we gave you a structure that will be of no use whatsoever from now on. And well, I'm yeah. like, oh, so what do I do? You're going to have to figure that out. Like, that's the first thing you got to do is figure out what you're going to do. Mm. And I'm like, oh, shit. So unless you have, like, a very clear career path ahead of you based well, the, on what, if... you're, what you studied, um, it's very easy to fall into that malaise
1: and go, like, what the fuck do I like, do now? Like, oh, and I got trapped yeah. there for a few years. Um, I would recommend... Uh, one of my favorite films of last year, Tick, Tick, Boom, oh, which a good is one. very much about uh, the the opening song is called 3090. It's about Jonathan Larson is turning 30 and he realizes that he's not successful. And uh, it's, it's very much about that time in history, about mm-hmm. 1990 in particular. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's also about how he hasn't achieved success yet and he needs to do it right. And he actually has... Other options to achieve success, but he needs to do it right. And I think, uh, mm. but by, by his own standard, that is um, I, a film I have often uh, uh, related to. Even though I think parts
0: of it have aged poorly, but um, there's an undercurrent of truth I think in Kevin Smith's Clerks.
1: Um, I would say Clerks Two. Clerks Two is deals, not, is, deals, is deals that with it a little bit. Oh, okay, I think so, clerks, yeah. two is, clerks Two was
0: was like 20 years later. I think Clerks One is about we're out of high school, we've got jobs. What do we do now? Do we get complacent? Mm. Do we accept that we are now merely a cog in the industry? Or do we allow our existential crisis to drive us to anarchy? Or at the very least, uh, think outside the box and change our circumstances. Mm. It's a movie about being trapped in a job. Yeah. And a job with no future whatsoever. And that's mm. a place we think we all find ourselves at once in a while. Yeah. Um, and although much of the humor is offensive to the point of he's just young and trying to get noticed that's no need to be that gross mm. um the undercurrent of existential crisis and like sort of uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for like the I guess malaise is the, best right. the, the the sort of I'm almost mature but I haven't figured out how to take the next step into that yeah um, I always connect to that every time I watch that movie mm. so it's it's imperfect but there's a
1: lot I really yeah, really um, like about it. On the comedy front, uh, all of the films of Jed Apatow are about yeah. people, uh, in their mid twenties, even into their mid thirties wrestling with maturity yeah. and their lack thereof and how this is sort of making their, they've reached a point where their immaturity isn't cute anymore. Uh, this is every film made by Whit Stillman. Also not, true. Yeah. Not just Metropolitan, but yeah. pretty much all of his movies, even love and friendship to a degree mm. deals with this. Um, Oh, what are some others? Um,
0: uh, Antoine and Colette? Oh, wait, not Antoine and Colette. That's, uh, that's the uh, short film. Uh, Stolen Kisses. Oh, there it's, you go. Yes. The st- so,
1: oh, excellent, excellent yeah. choice. Uh, yes. Fra-
0: uh, Francois Truffaut, his first film was a breakout, uh, French New Way of Success. It's called 400 Blows. It's about a young boy who's just sort of... His parents are getting divorced, and he's just kind of running around and skipping school and just has seems to have no place in life. Everyone treats him like a delinquent, but he's actually kind of bright, and he doesn't know what to do with himself, and that's kind of it. That's just his childhood. Uh, fantastic movie about feeling lost when you're young. Uh, and then Truffaut kept following that character along. Yeah. And in Stolen Kisses, which is the... Uh, third, it's a, it's a techn- third. Technically, the third. Technically, uh. third film, but the second film was like a short. Um, he's basically he's been dishonorably discharged from the from the from the Marines or whatever the equivalent is in France, mm. uh, and he has a bunch of different really shitty affairs. He tries to become a private detective, like he's just struggling and aimlessly mm. like attempting to find some direction. Uh, the third film of the Apu trilogy. Is another one oh, of those yeah, as well. well so, I'm
1: not sure if it's a quarter-life crisis. It's more eh, about him finally. I guess it's like, more ex- like, accepting I, his fatherhood. But uh, you know. I, I guess that's I guess that's probably yeah. more true. Um, uh, de, uh, Lena Dunham made uh, her. I think it was her first feature was Tiny Furniture. I never saw it. It's about yeah you know, another artist who's just sort of reached that point where she's. Mm. Uh, like, like Francis Ha, like Whit Stillman, uh, where your your struggle to become an artist and couch surfing and living kind of a bohemian life yeah. isn't seemly any longer.
0: Yeah, um, Daisy Von Schurler-Meyer uh, made a film that was briefly all anyone could talk about in the mid-90s and has quickly been forgotten, unfortunately, but it's Party Girl. Uh, oh, with Tyler with the, with Parker yeah, yeah. Posey where her whole thing is she's a party girl. She goes out and she parties, yeah. whatever. And eventually she like slowly starts getting her life together when she ends up having to get a job at a library.
1: Yeah.
0: Um it works. Mm. It works. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I was a big, big fan. Um, I,
1: wouldn't, I wouldn't call it, Ghost World They're not old enough No that's they're That's high school teenagers. That's high school
0: That's that's not the same vibe mm. uh, lo- One could maybe argue Lost in Translation Someone who got mm. married Younger than mm. Perhaps they were Ready for um, um,
1: The World's End Oh <laughs> um. <laughs> That's a, still
0: that's still midlife crisis. Uh, yes,
1: still, that's, no. that's more midlife. Well, I, guess I would say Shaun of the, the Dead, dead is, is, is more a, quarterlife that's crisis. That's a perfect quarterlife <laughs> crisis movie.
0: That's a movie in which someone has like a list of things they need to do to get their shit together, and because of the zombie apocalypse, they have to do them all in one day. <laughs> Pretty much, it's basically he has to grow into a fully mature adult over the course of one day because mm. of a crisis. Uh, that's why I love that's why I still think that's arguably Edgar Wright's best movie it's really grounded in something yeah. real even and, and, though the humor is very silly
1: and, and to continue with Edgar Wright he also yeah. made a film called Scott Pilgrim versus the world yeah. which is very much a quarter life crisis movie it's not a movie I like um, mm. I actually have a lot of major issues with that movie. I think the manga works uh, better than the movie I, I'm sure it does I, yeah. have, I haven't read the comics but uh, yeah. the the movie condenses things to the point where it's nothing nothing has senseless a, nothing has emotional uh, there, resonance a, because it all happens too fast a, a streak of bi- phobia that i just hate in that movie Mm. uh but yeah it's about the lead character scott pilgrim is about trying to sort of come to terms with the fact that he he has to do something besides be a cool guy and i think the movie doesn't ever have him face that he just continues to think that his only goal is to be a cool guy even up to the end yeah um so it, it doesn't handle the it presents the crisis, but it doesn't present like maturity or change. by I the agree. End.
0: I agree. I think it's a, I think it's a flawed film. Mm-hmm. Uh, great style, but not necessarily great. The
1: Style is no, style. amazing. And the cast is great and it's hilarious, but I don't like it. No, yeah, I
0: can appreciate that. And you've, you've won me over over the yeah. years on that. I used mm-hmm. to be really high on that movie, but now every time I watch it, I think about it from your perspective mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, this isn't very, this isn't actually all that great. If you think about it, it's just, <laughs> it just looks
1: really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, there, so there are plenty of movies out there yeah. that do look at, uh, The experience of being in your mid-twenties and the fear you feel that Mm. you're not far enough along. Five Easy Pieces.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson is like this workaday guy. He's got un- unimaginative uh, relationships. He's got like shitty down-to-earth jobs. And what's interesting about it is over the course of the film, you realize he's actually he's a, like, like a, pian- he, he's a piano prodigy yeah. who is running away from his talent. Mm. Um, and that's an interesting example of that. It's interesting the way that they sort of introduce that mm. over time, where you sort of get used to the idea that you know this guy. And what you really don't realize is that no he's actually like a wunderkind mm. um yeah, that movie's really great um anyway hopefully that, was, that gives you some examples
1: uh, <laughs> um yeah <laughs> let's move on i guess all right um uh, here's a follow up letter uh from uh okay okay oh, right hi. Into us um okay was going to start um a film club. Like a film club. And I think this is a little yeah. bit of a follow up on that. So let's, let's follow up. Uh, dear Bims Whitney, I guess it's still okay to call people dear on letters, but I guess you find it quite weird. Uh, if I met and I would be doing it to your faces. Hello dear. <laughs> well, <laughs> but that doesn't matter. And it's not why I'm writing. I wrote earlier about my potential movie club at our local culture workshop. I had it my practice section with it on Tuesday, the 8th. Mm-hmm. And it went really well. Yay. Hooray. Uh, Though I was nervous about it, I was able to get into it and people seemed to respond quite well to my presentation. Also, one of the best things was hearing people laughing during the movie I chose. It gave me a really nice feeling of community. Hmm. As I told you in my previous letter, the film showed me the practice session was Disney's Steamboat Willie. Uh, I didn't do a ton of research for us because I tried to keep it more fun for me, especially considering I don't get paid for it. Right. But I spoke about how the film was considered the first successful cartoon with synchronized sound. And a bit about how during the production, the animators were doubtful of a cartoon with sound working. But based on the feedback I got uh, got my presentation did, and it didn't indeed raise the enjoyment of the movie for the people who are allowed to see it and focus on the things that made Steamboat Willie a success and a classic. I attached some slides for my presentation oh, and cool. some, some images on this email here. Uh uh, just in case you're curious, of course it's in Finnish, but I think the picture can give some idea about what was going on. Also to explain the color scheme in and the pig, I used similar graphics on my YouTube channel. Uh, anyway, I did get confirmation today that as long as I, I just attend the training to the end and feel myself ready for it, I will get to start to do the actual group when the next period starts, when the culture workshop starts. That's great. Um, the period lasts for five weeks, after which there's a week of planning and the next uh, period and groups usually operate once a week uh next period is at the turn of the month so i'll be back quite soon Hmm. uh for my first period i've already started to think about films to show Hmm. uh it's surprisingly hard to decide when you want to show a diverse group of films that so many uh to as many people as possible and that they would feel comfortable to join for at least one meeting currently i'm thinking of showing the following Uh, number one hayao miyazaki's castle in the sky for its influential animation i hear about a uh and I don't hear about it as often as some other Studio Ghibli films.
0: That's an interesting choice because yeah. people, a lot of people love Hayao Miyazaki, but that one doesn't get like shown very yeah, often. You can see with the
1: audience S- very often, Spirited Away or Princess Mononoke or Kiki's De- or, uh, Totoro. or Totoro. Totoro more often, yeah, more right. common, yeah. So that's a, that's an interesting choice. I like that choice. Yeah. It's also based on uh, uh, Gulliver's Travels. It's, Castle- oh, you're right. It is no. actually a little bit. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, um, in a roundabout way, but yeah. yeah. Uh, number two, The Harder They Fall. Because ah, it's fucking awesome. It is fucking awesome. <laughs> One of my favorites of 2021 uh, that I just wanted to share with people. Uh, number three, Akira Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress. Mm. Uh, I have this nice Kurosawa samurai collection of Blu-rays and figured Hidden Fortress would be a fun place to start uh, for its Star Wars connection because yeah. Seven Samurai is way too long and Rashomon is a bit too rough uh, with its assault scenes.
0: Yeah, that's not for everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Whereas hmm. Hidden Fortress is a little bit... You know, a little it's bit more... A, little, it's, it's raucous. It's, it's a raucous, raucous, raucous it's the, film, yeah. The, 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 the intensity isn't as um, harrowing
1: yeah, it's in Hidden Fortress. It, it moves yeah. a little bit more sprightly. There's a lot of yeah, fighting. It's an adventure film. It's an adventure film. It's a good one, too. It's one of the uh, best. Awesome photography. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've loved Kurosawa. No matter yeah. who is his photographer, I love the way Kurosawa yeah. yeah. shot movies. Uh, number four, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yay! Because it's still really funny and I wanted to do something comedic, too. good history in that movie, Good history. Uh, It's a bit dangerous just because it's so... Widely seen, mm. you don't want to necessarily throw in a ring or that's so Yeah, that, that's a lot, of, a lot of people is. be like, Oh, I've seen that a million times. Yeah, so, yeah so, so, it's like, but yeah. you know,
0: on the other so I, hand, I,
1: I happen to love the movie, but yeah. I understand but I'm not gonna go head, out of my way to see it a midnight on show.
0: On the other though. hand, I think it's important not to take that for granted. I think some mm. movies we take for granted as being old staples, but if younger audiences aren't being exposed to them as often, maybe this actually might be something like, Oh, I've always wanted to see Monty Python and the Holy Grail because I was born in. Two thousand, yeah, and it wasn't as ubiquitous in their generation as it was in ours. So maybe it is. Maybe it is a good idea.
1: Okay, yeah, never take Uh, for granted. And slot number five is undecided. I'll be looking forward to the possibilities of talking, taking the group to a movie theater, maybe letting the group choose. Um, I know you have a review of The Harder They Fall on critically acclaimed and Episode Zero did Hidden Fortress, uh, but do you have any interesting thoughts on Holy Grail or Castle in the Sky? Uh, This email is getting long, it always Mm -hmm. does, Uh, but I. uh, That's not a ticket. You. We we just don't mind reading long emails. We don't mind at all. Uh, But I'll bring up something else as well. Feel free to cut the second section of time demands. You are our demand. We're gonna read it. (laughs) We gotta cut it for time. My God. We're here to take time for you. Um, Uh, Uh, (laughs) sounded dejected Uh, roll like I I told you in one earlier letter that I do a little uh, reviews of uh, films and TV shows on YouTube as a hobby and that I have been allowed to attend press screenings for upcoming movies Uh, another exciting opportunity is coming up next Tuesday on the 15th of February the date of this recording in fact Uh, after a press screening of the horror movie Hatching I'm going to interview the director of the film Hannah Bergholm considering this is my first time interviewing a director I'm anxious as hell but also excited knowing that both of you have done some Interviews with directors and other industry people. Before I was wondering if you have some general tips or advice to give. Of course, there are differences between how they're handled in the U.S. and in Finland, but I'm curious. And though I probably won't hear from you before the fifteenth,
0: well, yeah, it's sorry, the 15th. too late. No, sorry. Um,
1: it still might help if I ever decided to do again. Mm-hmm. After having said all that, I wanted to remind you that you're both awesome and thank you for all your amazing podcasts, sending love and respect. Okay, and yeah, here's some of these slides in yeah, Finnish of uh, Steamboat Willie that uh, oh, that's that o- o- okay. Showed during the presentation. Oh, that looks really
0: professional. Yeah. Good job. Um, real fast, let's let's because I actually really do like the the second problem, which is how to interview people, which is something mm-hmm. that I was very chagrined to discover when I got into this industry. There's like no book about that.
1: Oh goodness, no. There's
0: no like textbook about how to conduct like a celebrity interview, and I was very frustrated. And so I've paid attention my whole career, and I've paid I, I've got some thoughts on that. Uh real, real fast though, we did actually talk about Monty Python and the Holy Grail pretty recently when mm-hmm. we did our iron list of the best movies based on TV shows. Yeah. Uh, so you can hear some of our th- thoughts there. In short, um, it's one of the funniest movies ever made, but one of the reasons why it's great is because it's actually steeped in a real awareness of British history, mm. both uh, actual historical and mythological. And uh, they, they mind
1: the silliness and ridiculousness mm. and unfairness of history for some real vicious satire. Some of my favorite comedies are dumb comedies written by very smart people. Exactly. Um, Feel the same way about Futurama. Those are all science nerds, and you can tell. Yeah. Um, one of the writers, his name is Keeler. His last name is Keeler. Yeah. Uh, he likes to write his name into the, into the scripts. They're visiting the planet Saturn. They're sailing across the rings. There's a little sign next to the gap in the rings that says, Mind the Keeler Gap. Uh huh. That's a, a joke on Mind the Gap uh-huh. that you hear on the British subway system. Right. And. The Keeler Gap, which is the name of that actual gap in The Rings. Oh, that's funny. And it's also the name of the screenwriter. Wow. So it's a triple joke. A lot of work Um, in there. Smart people thinking these things ahead, they know a lot about shit. What was the other movie he asked us to talk about? uh, The other one was... uh, Was it Castle in the Sky? We did The Heart of the... Yeah, Castle in the Sky. Yeah, because it's one of Miyazaki's less talked about movies. Yeah. Not not that it's not celebrated. It did get distribution and was on, you know, yeah. retrospectives and screenings and It, just, does, it release, just it but... never
0: really inspired the same fan base. I suspect that's partly because it doesn't really have like a lot of breakout characters. It's got a really mm. awesome robot in it and mm. I love the Sky Pirates. Yeah, Those are really really fun But I would argue well, The Sky, Sky Pirates And Porco Rosso
1: Are even more fun I'll, I'll say this It was my first Miyazaki Oh I, uh, My uh, roommate in college Was head of the anime club So I got You know A little bit Privileged information So I got to yeah. see Castle in the Sky uh, Like right before Or right when Miyazaki mm-hmm. was becoming A household name In the United States So I got to see Castle in the Sky Like in 96 Which was Like shortly before uh, Princess Mononoke Hit stateside mm-hmm. And um what really impressed me was the flight. That's all, oh, that's yeah. Miyazaki's thing. Awesome. He just yeah. loves, he's so good at capturing flying through the air. Yeah. I don't know how he does it. Live action films yeah. get, shots of actual planes don't do it in the same way. Degrade,
0: yeah. Like, uh,
1: and, like, he does a lot of that in Kiki. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of flying scenes in all his if movies. If I, if
0: I were directed a Superman movie, I would tell the VFX department, mm. look, look, at everything he on Miyazaki. Yeah, watch that's all That's what flying looks like. Yeah.
1: Okay? I don't want anything that doesn't look like this. Uh, and of course, um, Kind of his big personal masterpiece, uh, The Wind Rises, is about mm. uh, the, a designer of airplanes yeah. uh, uh, that were ultimately used for nefarious purposes. Yeah, it's a very but, difficult uh, film in a lot of ways. But but it's, which, it's, which, yeah. I, which is why I like it. I but, uh, yeah. You know, the, the morals are not so clear cut in that movie. Yeah. But it's also very calm and placid and full of love. But it's yeah. also advocating something that was very destructive. Yeah. Um, not a, But, you know, knowingly doing that. It's no, like, it raises difficult tr- It's not difficult propaganda. Questions. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think Laputa, uh, Castle in the Sky, mm. which is its original full title, yeah. uh, which takes its name from Gulliver's Travels, uh, does that flying stuff really, really well. So when somebody's on an engine that's barely, like, it's just a plane engine with, like, little yeah. wings on the side, and they're kind of, like, revving the engine to stay up, yeah. and you think they're going to plummet any minute, you feel that in your gut. Yeah, uh, There's a lot of those beautiful visuals, and when they finally get to the Castle in the Sky, mm-hmm. uh, there's this very lush, peaceful, like placid feeling, this uh-huh. garden-like feeling to wandering through this ruin. And yeah, that robot is is part of that ruin. Very fun.
0: Um regarding how to interview a filmmaker. Okay. Yeah, this we'll is look. this is a great question, and we do not get asked this enough. Because not enough people get the opportunity to do this. And I wish more people did, because it's mm-hmm. really illuminating. Um when you're interviewing someone, you're trying to get them to reveal things about in this case their work, mm. which means that your questions, if you do nothing else, the best advice I can give is to try not to ask yes or no questions. Mm. Don't ask like, "Was it difficult to shoot um, on a boat?" Yeah, because the answer is probably yes. Mm. Because then you'll have just have to ask follow up question. Just say, "Tell me about the difficulties of filming on a boat." Mm-hmm. Boom! Now you've got them explaining things and telling stories. Your goal is to do as little talking as possible and get them to tell stories. <laughs> that's the baseline. There's a lot more to yeah. it than that, but if you take nothing else away, if you, that's the only piece of advice you can keep
1: in your head at any yeah, moment, boom! If you can start your question with "Could you tell me about?" Mm-hmm. That's a great way to start. Or your question. what was it like? Yeah, that, um, you
0: know, put me in that, put yeah, me on um, the day, you know.
1: And this is really important, and it took me way too long to learn this. Hmm. Uh, have some questions, like, written down. Yeah. Like, know what you're going to talk about. Know what you want to, to ask them about. Yeah. But don't make a list of ten and go down the list. Oh, yeah. Uh, listen to what they're saying. Yes. Ask questions based on what they're saying. Have a conversation with them. Don't be afraid to come back with... Like a little bit of personal information about yourself mm-hmm. and how you reacted to a certain thing about what they just said, and you know yeah. how they're going to come back at you. That's that's
0: really important. Yeah. Listen to what they're saying. There's nothing don't more frustrating. Ju- don't yeah. just
1: record their answers. Yeah.
0: There's nothing more frustrating to me because I when I was especially early on when I didn't know mm-hmm. what I was doing and you know I was just trying to and I did okay, but like mm-hmm. you know I realized I could do better. Um I would do that. I would just ask the questions that I had, and then I was like transcribing it, and I realized they said something really interesting, and i didn 't think to ask a follow up question, yeah, because it wasn 't in the moment. You have the questions written down, you can always refer back to them, but try to stay in the moment, listen to what they 're saying if they mention something really interesting, but don 't go into detail, bring that up. Mm-hmm. Another great way to talk about uh, uh get them talking about films is to talk about very specific creative decisions. Don't just talk about like, oh, you made a horror movie. How do you feel about horror movies? Instead, say something really specific about a creative choice that they made in the movie, which is something like, um, how did you decide... Uh, that vampire fangs would look like that instead of what they normally look like. And then yeah. all of a sudden they're actually trying to explain and create a creative mm. decision, which is probably really important to the film.
1: and yeah. un- understand a lot about their discipline. Mm-hmm. I find when, uh, and I'm not sure if this is exciting to read about, but I know mm. uh, actors love talking about their craft. Yeah. Their approach to a character, their yeah. their the way they looked at the script, how you know the rehearsal process, mm-hmm. uh, how they got into character, what they felt, the kind of research they did. Yeah, that's the kind of thing I like to ask actors about because they're usually excited to talk about that kind of
0: well, thing. Well, and it's tricky because at ask uh, talking to actors is very different than usually than talking to directors or mm-hmm. writers because actors typically aren't responsible for the same overall creative decisions. No, so if you no, ask no. if you ask an actor about the plot, they may or may not have an opinion about mm-hmm. it, but there's a decent chance that that's not in their purview and they don't have a strong opinion about it Mm. and what they can tell you about is the acting parts they can tell you about their character they can tell you about their wardrobe they can tell you about decisions (laughs) that their character made Uh, but they can't necessarily (laughs) tell you about there's someone that said like oh someone asked harrison ford in an interview whether han solo was a force ghost at the end of rise of skywalker and his response was basically i don't care i don't care it's irrelevant (laughs) to me i was in the moment with my son talk to me about that relationship and you might have something So yeah, don't. So actors slightly different than filmmakers uh, from directors and writers. Mm. Generally speaking, I tend to prefer interviewing directors and and writers because they get to make bigger creative decisions, and because they can quote
1: idea people. They can can tell you
0: avenues that they almost went down. Mm. They can tell you the reason why a movie makes a decision, even if you don't agree
1: with it. I uh, I got to interview Triple H. (laughs) <laughs> the wrestler at one point. That's great. Uh, who was in? Uh, I forgot the. I even forgot the title of the movie. Um, but he was in this action picture where uh, it's very much like uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, where he's on the phone with the bad guy. Oh, odd. was it like it's Twelve like, Rounds Two? Twelve rounds. Twelve rounds.
0: Twelve rounds. No, Twelve Rounds One
1: was John Santa, oh, Cena. Cena. Th- then it was Twelve Rounds Two. Yeah, I think it was yeah, Twelve Rounds with, Two. Yeah. So <laughs> I got to interview Triple H about Twelve Rounds Two. Don't ask. The original uh, Twelve
0: Rounds ain't bad, by the way. I'll say that right now. It's kind of a fun flick.
1: But uh, I. I, I, I said, you know, what was, you know, if you're on the phone with the bad guy, like, what are you picturing when you're acting? did you How much did you know? How much did you interact with the other actor? He revealed mm-hmm. that they hadn't even cast or shot the scenes that he's acting opposite when he was doing his scenes. So they actually didn't have a bad guy yet. So he's like, well, this is what I was picturing. And it's like, uh, yeah, I know there was this movie called Manhunter, a Michael, Michael Mann movie, uh, where... The director deliberately kept them apart until the last scene where the actors see each other for this for first time, so he could get a really genuine reaction when they see each other for the first time. Mm. And he's like, "Really? Tell me more about that Manhunter movie. He had never heard of it before. Oh yeah, that's cool. so I, I like to think I got Triple H to watch Manhunter. I'm for the actually first time. not
0: sure what you interviewed him for because I don't. I'm not seeing any other Twelve Rounds of movies on his filmography. <laughs> um, I, I, another great thing, another great trick to have in your in your bag of tricks when you're interviewing a filmmaker, um, make sure if you ha- you don't always have time. Sometimes you just interviewing someone because it's available and you don't have time to do any research. Mm. If at all possible, do your research on the filmmakers. see all their other movies.
1: Yeah, that, that definitely helps. It
0: really is useful to be able to tie their new work into their old work. Maybe they have a recurring theme that pops up in a lot of their movies. Maybe there's a certain visual motif or certain people they work with a lot. And you can talk about their work not only in that movie, but previously and kind of... A, it it it's nice, it's flattering to the to your interview subject to know that you've paid attention to their whole work. Mm. Uh, but B, you know, they are not only thinking about their one film; they're thinking about everything they've ever done. So, um, that's really useful. But if you can have a question in your back pocket that's kind of fun, one about something they've done in the past, mm. that's also great. It kind of gets because a lot of the interview questions they're going to get for any press tour are going to be. Pretty much the same thing over and over again. You know, where did this idea come from? What's it like working with so and so? Mm -hmm. Pretty boring, honestly. They have the same answer. They've given the same answer. The answer doesn't change. They've been at 20,000 times. But if you can ask them something weird, um, I interviewed uh, William H. Macy once. Here's a good example here. This is before all that Mm -hmm. college. Scandal stuff came out Oh my goodness Yeah um, But uh, I interviewed him For a different movie And I asked him Because William H. Macy Is one of those actors Who back in the 80s Before anyone knew who he was Would just pop up in things Every once in a while Mm. And he was in one of my Favorite movies uh, Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon (laughs) He played like a stage manager in that uh, Kung Fu exploitation film. Great movie. Please see that movie. And he's
1: only in like one scene. He's like one he? scene. Yeah. He's
0: like one scene. But every time I watch that movie, I would be like, oh yeah, I forgot what Billy Mitch Macy's in this. And he is wearing, Google this, he's wearing the <laughs> silliest coat. Like the most absurd, <laughs> mid 80s, bizarre color scheme. And, and he's not like coat. a bizarre character. He's no, 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 just
1: no. the guy wearing this weird coat. And I
0: just, I just, I had to it when I, I had to take a moment and I was just like, so listen, while I have you here, I have a couple minutes left in our time. Um, I remember you in The Last Dragon And he was like, oh yeah, that was a long time ago And I was like, cool, tell me about your jacket And he was like, let me tell you about that jacket <laughs> he remembered that jacket <laughs> That jacket was the most absurd thing I think I've ever worn in a film And I wish I'd stolen it because it cost more than they paid me <laughs> Wow So if you pay attention to little stuff like that And you can bring that up It's really, they remember And they want mm. to tell the stories So that's... Uh, Hopefully that's something you can work with. So, but the biggest thing of all, nothing else. Mm. No yes, no questions. Get them talking and listen, mm. and ask follow up questions when appropriate. You'll be glad you did. Yeah, uh,
1: and uh, and this is also important. Just relax. Yeah, you're, you're, they're people too. They're just people. They're just people. Yeah. uh You know. The, if you get dazzled or a little bit starstruck, yeah. uh, that's—I mean—that's fine. That's yeah. kind of natural. But yeah, it if you just sort of approach them like a person you're going to have a conversation with, yeah. you're going to give a much better interview. There, there's an attitude. I—I I, you,
0: you can't go overboard with this because you don't want to be rude. Mm. But I think it's something to remember when people are on a press tour when they're like talking about it, promoting their movie. Um, they want to come across well, mm. so. You don't have to impress them. They're kind of here to impress your audience. Mm.
1: So, you just have to give them a forum for that. And and keep this in mind. And this is something that Gray Drake taught me who we've talked about oh, Gray, great Drake Gra- Gray Drake's uh, sort of tricks. Um, One
0: of the great yeah. interviewers. Period. Gray Drake. She just she is, absolute she is she's genius a,
1: at a, it. a complete star. Uh, yeah. Uh, first of all, talk to them by their credited name. Don't you don't have to say you know, Mr. or Ms. You're, 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 if you're talking to Samuel L. Jackson, you say hello, Samuel L. Jackson. Say their whole name. Yeah, it's a great way to name. sound
0: formal without yeah. going through that rigmarole of like, oh, don't call me Mr. Jackson. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Great way to talk to
1: somebody. <laughs> hello, Samuel L. Uh, yeah. Jackson. Boom. But uh, she pointed out that if you're going to have ten minutes with an artist, or uh, even more so, a celebrity. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna crack them open, okay? You're not gonna get the big. you're not gonna get the big scoop. Yeah, you're not gonna get a big, long story. You're not gonna yeah. get some behind the scenes, anything. G- yeah, you're not gonna don't, make them cry. Don't, and, don't don't try to get them. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Just get to the end of the interview. Just have have fun. Have fun with it and have a conversation. If
0: you're having fun talking to them, Mm. other people probably will too. Just try to. Even if you have like
1: a thirty minute podcast, you're still not gonna get the big. Probably not. Don't feel like you have. It's not about that. It's not
0: about that. It's Mm. not about scoops. And I realize that's probably not what you specifically, the person who wrote Mm. in, is asking about. But like, it's not about scoops. It shouldn't be about scoops. If you have interesting things to talk about and they give you something newsworthy, great. All the better. But you cannot be fishing for that. A, they know you will. Mm. They're, you'll get their guard up. Yeah. They'll be like, oh, this person's just fishing for news and they don't care about being as a person. Boom. They don't do that. Mm. All right? They'll, they'll just put their guard up and then you've lost any opportunity to have to get a real conversation out mm. of them. It is not worth it. Uh, they'll, just, they'll,
1: they'll give you the scoop If they want to <laughs> Yeah like so I, There are some like Actors or filmmakers yeah. Who are eager to talk about Like, Ke, like things, Kevin but, Feige yeah.
0: He does it less now Than he used to But he understands That everyone giving Getting an interview With Kevin Feige Wants some news About Marvel mm. And he was good With the tease He knows how to mm. say Something in such a way That here's your headline yeah.
1: you, know, <laughs> yeah. you, you know you
0: want a headline Here's a, like, here's did, something cool You know
1: You you got to ask him About Motormouth At one point I asked him yeah. about That was not a headline But yeah I oh, got no, to ask goodness, him About no, motormouth. But, but, but he gave a very Diplomatic answer I remember
0: I Yeah I remember I got some scoops From him about uh,
1: Spider-Man with Spider-Man Was just a twinkle In
0: Marvel's eye I got scoops About Thor I got mm. I got scoops And I got them Directly from Kevin Feige Because I talked To him about The creative process And they came up Organically Okay um, That's the best way To do it Don't just say Tell me about Spider-Man mm. Say something about Like Man. He'll, he'll give
1: us canned yeah. answer Which is oh Just hang on yeah, But you if know. you ask
0: Something kind of Specific in an odd way Something like Okay so you've got Spider-Man Congratulations Um Spider-Man's costume has been done multiple times in live action, and you probably don't want to do the exact same thing all over again. How do you approach that creative challenge? Oh, there you go. Boom! Good. Good So even if he doesn't have a specific... I'll tell you what we're going to do. It's going to be amazing. He's talking about a creative decision people are interested in in the future, Mm. and you got that. Yeah. So at the very least, you have something. Mm. Boom. Um... Anyway, long conversation. We could go on and on and on about it. Hopefully people found this interesting. Um, I, I, I remember again, when I started interviewing people for, for this job, um, I had nowhere to turn to other than a few people I know in the industry, including Gray Drake, who was wonderful by the way. Um, so I'm very, I'm very sympathetic to people who all of a sudden have been asked to interview someone and don't know the, the etiquette or Mm -hmm. the best way to go about it. So hopefully that helps. Um, Anyway, and be- I hope you had a great time. I realize this is coming too late to be helpful, but mm-hmm. hopefully next time it'll be even better, and I hope the first time was wonderful
1: to start. Yeah, it, it, and you can start. start. That's yeah. We have time for one more. One more, okay. Uh, here's a letter from Kevin. Hello, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Um, to the two wonderful fellows at Critically Acclaimed. Oh. Uh, who, who, uh, who? I don't know. They, uh, well, do we have do we, other I people th- here? I think you're one of them, William. No, All no, those. no, 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 no. I'm a piece uh, of crap. it's luca and uh, oh and the and luca and michelle luca and michelle okay uh, first, uh, even if my question isn't used in an episode, I did want to express my gratitude. Thank you for all your hard work. Oh, Not only has your thoughtful analysis and sheer love of movies brought me joy and deepened my own movie watching experience over the last few years, it has also helped me in my own professional trade. I am a Ooh. Methodist pastor. Oh wow! Uh, while my seven years in theological schools were good and expensive, uh, listening to good critics like yourselves break down art out loud and discuss elements of effective storytelling has been very educational. Huh. Uh, listening to your conversations has helped broaden my perspectives and consider the creative choices one makes when crafting a story. My my weird job involves a lot of reading and reflecting on stories in my case ancient scriptures yeah. and then trying to find creative wells to retell or share what I find with others in the hopes that that will uh, help us all discover the divine within it so we can then discover the divine in our lives and world. Uh, you could say that each week I have to create a kind of theater for my community so I very much treasure going getting to hear your conversations about stories being told in the theaters of our larger culture each week thank you yeah um I, I, I'm Methodist, and I, yeah. uh, I I I get to see that every week. You know how how is the the story yeah. going to play out uh, when you're cool. dealing with a, essentially the same source material. Yeah. Um. But anyway, uh, he says, okay, onto my next question slash hmm. discussion topic. If you were given the task of teaching a class on the history of the last century, but could only use movies as teaching material. What movies would you make your list? Ooh. Let's say there can be three to five movies per decade. Oh, oh geez. Okay, God. that's a huge question. That's a huge question. We can, uh, we're
0: going to spitball, but we're not going to come but, to any uh, meaningful.
1: Luca, uh, would you mind not climbing the screen? But, but he continues. Uh, for a little context, my 10-year-old son was learning about World War One in uh. his school term and inspired me to start looking for movies from that era we would watch together to help him gain some deeper understanding what life in the world was like at the time and also hopefully to expand his movie horizons beyond his typical choices. Right. I'm guessing All Quiet on the Western Front isn't a modern 10 year old's first choice of No,
0: I would, I would recommend for World War I, Joyeux Noël. Joyeux Noël is a good about, One Joyeux Noel. Joyeux Noel. Wonderful film about the Christmas armistice uh, between uh, yeah. the
1: French and German I know, uh, soldiers on Christmas yeah. and how it has a weird aftermath to it. Like It yeah, was really, really surprising. Uh, for a 10 year old, I know you're not a big fan of it, but Spielberg's War Horse. Uh, it's a, a little intense. bit of a I mean, fairy tale about yeah. a horse. Uh, it's intense, but yeah. it, it's Spielberg, so it has. It's sort also of a World light War I Let's it, not yeah. pretend it was. not Luca, yeah. seriously, buddy, we're trying to have a conversation. <laughs> you know, um, I'll, I'll continue. Um, I have enjoyed oh, yeah. and struggled with this question because it forces me to consider: do I choose movies that depict the biggest events of the time, or select movies that are small stories that may be more deeply representative of every day of human life at the time? Do I pick movies produced during that decade, or movies that may were made looking back? Do I stick to movies mm-hmm. based on history? Events or genre movies that may be more revealing of what was in the hearts and minds of the people that made them. Ah, uh, it's so big, but possibly a fun exercise. If you would enjoy it, I would love to hear your pick. Also, as much as my work, my family, and ADHD allow, I will be working on my own list and be ready for summer movie watching with my kid. I wish you both Miles O'Keefe in the, <laughs> year, in, in the new year. But for now, I'm the win, baby. (laughs) Kevin Lester. (laughs) How
0: much Keefe is in this movie? Miles O'Keefe. That's an Mm MST3K reference. Well done. Uh, First off, thank you for your email. And thank you for the very kind words equating what we do to what you do Mm -hmm. as a preacher. Now, I may not be a person Mm -hmm. of a particular faith, Mm -hmm. but I have a lot of respect for spiritual guidance and spiritual leaders. And using stories that have been told in the past to teach valuable lessons about how to live today and make things that are Mm. old seem fresh and new to people who might not otherwise feel a deep connection to it is very important to me. So I appreciate that on that level. I think that's wonderful. And it does relate to, of course, the second thing, which is when we use cinema to teach history, first off, and this is just a general rule of thumb, cinema is typically a very bad history teacher.
1: Uh, for a variety of reasons, just it it, it is and it isn't. When you're well, when you're looking for an accurate depiction of events, yes, it's not great. That's my point. Uh, but when you're looking for general attitudes, yes, of the way we view certain events, yeah. then it's pretty par excellence and that's
0: what i was getting at here so if you're just trying to get like idea of i want to learn about these events you're not necessarily going to get the best history lesson but the best thing i think cinema can do is to put you in the shoes Mm. of people living in that situation in which case there are sometimes movies that are made perfectly within the exact time frame Mm. that are actually very close to what was actually yeah, well, being felt at the time but sometimes it takes a little time and a little perspective hmm. to understand that point in history well enough to tell hmm. that story properly so you're going to uh, run into in movies fact, that, let me uh, you're going to run into both examples i think
1: But let, let me run a parallel if i may sure. to the gospels the, go- the gospels were written uh historically speaking from like AD 66 up yeah. to like maybe 110 66 yeah so that's a little bit of perspective on recent history. Yeah. You don't go to the Gospels for a literal interpretation of facts. There's actually a lot of different perspectives from different authors. Yeah. The different uh, writers of the Gospels looked at the same events from different perspectives. Yeah, there's actually inconsistencies. you know a, a lot you know. about sort of various sects within the Jewish faith at the mm-hmm. time, you'll see that there's a lot of different versions of Christianity kind of emerging from just the, f- the first four Gospels. Yeah. Just from the Gospels. First four, four books of the New Testament right um, that's cinema isn't it yeah it's it's a perspective on something that happened already, and uh, I feel like that's a little bit more valuable a teacher than trying to get something that is trying to go for something straightforward because it's really mm. difficult to make a feature film with historical accuracy because films don't resemble life. Right. Um, sometimes a filmmaker will go way out of their way to get a lot of details correct. Mm-hmm. Master and Commander is a detail. Great example. Yeah. They, uh, they tried to... Uh, Peter Weir, the director, uh, went to the novels by Patrick O'Brien, and both of them were ship obsessives. Mm-hmm. They needed to get every single little detail correct. Uh, the Tom Hanks written film, I forgot who directed it, but Greyhound. Oh yeah, uh, about um, a, a World War II ship convoy. yeah uh, is solid film. So it's a very good film but it's yeah. all about the technicals it's about yeah. the way the, the decks looked on the ship and the chain yeah. of command and it's the hardly, uniforms there's hardly no
0: character development whatsoever yeah. it's the, the, just the, about people doing their jobs the, yeah. the
1: characters are, hardly matter in that movie yeah. uh, but it's exciting if you're into that technical stuff and if yeah. you're there are certain films that really delve into those technical details mm-hmm. those are fine places to go for certain details about history yeah if you're looking for the history of World War Two, Shoah. Showa would be a good place yeah. a documentary film great idea that's not what i want to, would want to show to a 10 year old no that's really um, heavy um and that's the other but it's also it's also a five hour film yeah. so it's going to be a little bit of a well, slog regardless and I, th- and
0: I think world war Two is a great example mm. to use as, as a starting point here because world war Two, arguably the most significant like time period in the 20th century everything mm. kind of led up to it or it's a part of the fallout um however let 's say you want okay you want to pick like two or three films to do the history of world war ii i don 't think that's possible because there 's multiple different mm. very important what, narratives what, going first on first of
1: all, what country do you want to what take country from? Yeah. do you want to talk
0: about <laughs> whose experience within that country because mm. for example, even if you just want to talk about America, okay, cool, what do you want to talk about in the experience of America because what politicians were doing is not necessarily the same mm. as what people like living on the mainland were doing which is not necessarily the same as what people in the internment camps on the mainland were no, doing God. which is not necessarily the same as what people were doing in the actual war mm-hmm. in europe which is not the same as what people were doing in the war in the pacific mm-hmm. so Here's, already so, that's a minimum of like a half dozen films to even mm-hmm. get a baseline reading of the general text of world mm-hmm. war ii
1: so uh let's just hover around world war ii uh, okay. for a second all right um so a good good films that depict attitudes about the war. Mrs. Miniver. Mrs. Miniver is great. Yeah. It's a propaganda uh, that, that's film, a, but it's a very that's a thoughtful propa- one. Propaganda film. Um yeah. Uh, pro, for for the Allies, there's propaganda mm. from the Axis too, but those are actually incredibly boring movies. Generally speaking, you know, there's a couple good ones, but not great. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Triumph of the Will comes up a lot. And oh uh, god, no. it's let's, let's not uh, not for ten year old That's for goddamn sure. Oh my goodness, no. no. Um, um, but uh, if if you want sort of a little bit more recent films that have uh, perspective on World War II, uh, Terrence Malik's A Hidden Life is oh, incredibly brilliant. Good which is about a German soldier who chooses not to fight, yeah, and how uh, because idea. of yeah. his faith and is uh, he understands that war is a very wicked thing and is not mm-hmm. uh, doesn't uh, coincide with Christian philosophy, and so he decides yeah. not to fight to the chagrin of his entire community, and he's shunned yeah. because he won't give into war. It's about pacifism as a philosophy. I love that movie. Yeah,
0: um, it's very. You like it more than I do, but it's a great yeah, movie. Uh, yeah.
1: Uh, if you want to go back to something that's a little closer to the war, mm. please, uh, and from an American perspective, because Mrs. Miniver is a British film, yeah. uh, go to The Best Years of Our Lives, won best, mm. also One Best Picture. Like it's Mrs. a post Miniver. World
0: War II movie, but that's also a very valid experience. It's, to, yeah, it's to, about to, to sort to of about. the
1: soldiers' of experience after having mm-hmm. gone through the trauma of, of fighting in a war. So it doesn't really have a rosy view of what the war did. It has no. various perspectives on the war as we were trying to make sense of it after the fact. Yeah. Uh, but that's world war two. There's a yeah. lot of films made about world war two. Uh, uh you yeah. Mean, choose which events you want to focus on and then yeah. sort of look around. Like choose what want... events from the, and try to, and this is vital, get films from all around the world. Yeah. Films from various perspectives. We talked about world war two, but we talked about Terrence Malick, an American filmmaker, uh-huh. uh, William Wyler is an American filmmaker and mm-hmm. uh, um, Mrs. Miniver is a British film. Oh, yeah. Who directed Mrs. Miniver? Um, drive me nuts. Hang on. I'll look it up. An English filmmaker regardless. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't talk about Japanese films made mm-hmm. during World War II. Or it was William Wyler. It was also William Wyler. Okay.
0: Here you go. <laughs> and, he, and William Wyler was Swiss, German, and American. So oh, okay. a lot going mm-hmm. on there. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, there's, there's, so there's plenty to go about uh, with yeah. World War II, but yeah, yeah no, no make su- make sure to sort of go around the world. Um,
0: and make sure tra- uh, recently, make sure you try uh, to make sure that they're, you're telling stories from different perspectives. Yeah. within that, I mean, there are many different movies about the civil rights movement, but make sure we're also you're telling you're including films from filmmakers of color. Yeah, I think yeah. Selma is a absolutely vital mm. movie about the civil rights movement. It really does. Have an immediacy and an intensity, and you are there yeah. uh, uh, a sense that some of even like the the classier other mm-hmm. biopics uh, uh, the that, 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 no, classier is not uh, the right word, but some of the more um, um gigantic biopics don't yeah, carry yeah. you know uh,
1: there's uh, but there's also a danger when dealing with World War II or any historical events yeah. to show the rosiest version of it, yeah. This is something American filmmakers love to do. Yeah, uh, sort of sanitize things, clean them up. Good thing we were Um, in World War II. Yeah, yeah, uh, civil rights is is completely taken care of because this Italian white man who eats a lot made friends with a black man once. That's That's Green Green Book. Book. Yeah, Green Book Uh, is
0: terrible history. Don't get history. Yeah, that's yeah.
1: The notion of a green book is interesting. Yes, look up what a green book is. That's fascinating. And but the actual story being told what, there is deductive. The, the history you can learn about yeah. a green book, you know, introduce you to that concept. Mm-hmm. That's good. One of the but, better uh, one of the best the actual things to, story yeah, is complete hogwash. One of
0: the best things to do, and this is green book's a bad example of it, but um, is to take a story that is not necessarily trying to tell the entire history of a thing, because that can actually be really dull and dry, and try to maybe find something that finds a microcosm yeah. like one thing that happened in that time period I mentioned Joy as Noel which is about the Christmas armistice in uh, World War One. that's a good example of that or um, oh, I'm trying to think now like what's another good example of like uh, uh, a movie that's about a small thing that happened inside a bigger thing. A uh, Good Night and Good Luck is a really good example of something that, here's what's oh, happening right during out. McCarthyism, this idea that there was this red scare and mm-hmm. people were afraid of being labeled a communist and they were being uh, blackballed out of their industry. And it's not about that entire mm-hmm. thing. It's just about how Edward Armuro tried to cover that fairly in an environment mm-hmm. that was afraid to make waves at risk of having fingers pointed at them. It's not oh, uh, the greatest movie ever made, but it's a pretty good history film.
1: And, uh, we were just talking about Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. Sometimes a, a light, silly comedy is a great way to learn about Very history. Very revealing. You can get uh, a lot of British history from that. I was utterly shocked when a movie came out in the mid-90s called Simply Dick. And, uh, <laughs> It, it stars Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams as these two, uh, none too bright hippie girls yeah. who become really enamored of Richard Nixon. Yeah. And... They just believe in America. And, and so they yeah. go to visit Richard Nixon, and this is, like, complete revisionist history. These characters didn't exist, but they kind of, like, sneak in and end up, like, working for Nixon. Yeah, like his In, his, in, his, in his cat, in his cabinet, and it turns out they're responsible for, like, uh, leaking deep throat and... Yeah. Uh, the missing minutes on the tape turned out to be like a love song from one of them to Nixon, which he deleted uh, completely silly, but now you know about that missing time on that Nixon tape, don't you? Yeah. All of these little details that are it, it, because it's bizarre. it was came out in the mid nineties. Did teenagers in the nineties know about details from twenty five years earlier in the Nixon administration? Yeah, it's hard. to... I think maybe 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 not. That's a cult
0: movie because who's that for? Who's that for? Who was that movie made for exactly? I don't know. I'm glad it exists.
1: Teenagers who know a lot about Richard Nixon. People know a lot about history. I'm glad it exists. (laughs) But that's a weird sell. But if I'm going to teach somebody about the Nixon administration, first of all, I show them the post. Uh, But second, the Steven Spielberg film. Great example. uh, Secondly, I'd show them Dick before I would show them Oliver Stone's film Nixon. I would show them Frost Nixon. I think that's a really good uh, for, yeah. frost I think it's another good really, good I, think it's, I think it's an underappreciated film generally. It's really quite good. I know. Uh, <laughs> um, one of those films that uh, whose quality was swept up in an Oscar right. conversation.
0: And again, it's worth noting that, and this is just because of who we are, where we were raised. Where we live Almost every example That we've given Is yeah. almost exclusively American yeah, Or at least we're, something we're, Americans were connected to We're talking There's, about
1: American history The history of our own country Yeah, You have and,
0: to you have to make A concerted effort sometimes Because if you just Go by your stream Of consciousness Your stream of consciousness Is going to be related To what you already know well Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, you have to make A concerted effort To yeah, go outside look at, Outside of your Small box
1: Find movies about uh, here, here's a good example. Then these are not ones I would show to mm-hmm. a ten year old, but I, I recently discovered the films of Love Diaz. Like yeah. so, Well, I started watching them for the first time. Right. Most of those movies relate very heavily to uh, the Ferdinand Marcos dictatorship in the right. Philippines. Um, that's not history uh, that's taught very widely in American schools because it's Filipino nope. history. Yeah. Uh, You know, it might get, you know, a brief chapter in a history book.
0: Yeah, but they don't Uh,
1: don't typically spend, like, weeks and weeks on it. Yeah, yeah, they're not going to delve into sort of how this damaged the country spiritually. And that's what Love Diaz is interested in. Watch a Love Diaz film if you have the time. They're eight-hour movies. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, if you can set the time aside, he delves into that sort of thing. That's a historical event from someone who was there. Yeah. watch the Cordillera of dreams by a, a Chilean filmmaker named Patricio Guzman. He makes these really dreamy, beautiful documentary films about the dictatorship in Chile. Yeah. Uh, these are all very fascinating films about a particular place's history. And if you can go to filmmakers from that place that are commenting on where they came from, right. you're going to get a lot of great perspectives on history. Yeah.
0: Um, so hopefully that gives you something to start with. Again, that's a, that's a, Big, big that's, syllabus. That's a, your ass. That's that is gigantic. A huge yeah. we
1: we could ramble. We could continue we could work on
0: that for months and not mm-hmm. come to something totally satisfying. It's a great idea. Don't get me wrong, but it's gigantic. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully, we we'll give you something to work with. Um, I, I I've thought about this a lot. I don't have children. I don't know if I'll ever have children. But I do think to myself, you know, like when do you? Talk about certain things in history When do you introduce certain mm. Ideological concepts or Philosophical concepts or mm. Hard truths about the way the world Works you know that kind of thing and how yeah, the best way to Do that uh, it's,
1: educationally it's, yeah, Or artistically you know how, how, how long Is how long is Santa visiting your house
0: Exactly that kind of thing so That's um it's almost It's almost a Santa's almost kind of beautiful As like a metaphor really for mm. just In terms of like we teach you to believe in things Well it's you know, it's, you know
1: innocence in the garden isn't it well but there was the but there was we
0: just did a commentary track on our uh thing for the Hogfather, mm. and there was a point in the Hogfather, which is that santa claus uh teaches you that lies are important yeah that lies keep like because it's, it's, humanity it's li- itself is kind of a lie there, there's there's a twinge
1: of cynicism in there because uh, yeah. the, the speech is you know it prepares you for the big lies big lies like justice and righteousness and yeah. you know That there's things that
0: are things that are we like to believe in because they're important uh, to believe in, but they don't actually like physically exist, they only exist because we believe in them and we value them mm -hmm. and we try to manifest them on purpose. It it does imply
1: that all of those things are lies, but I think which is a
0: harsh way to put it, but it's it's a harsh way to
1: put it. But I think uh, the author Terry Pratchett was a little bit ambivalent about those things, yeah. So, okay. Maybe there's no real justice in the world. Like, physically, you can't measure it anywhere. Mm. But it's incredibly important.
0: Yeah, it's important that it that we and make it happen. And it's, it's important, important that, we, that we keep on making it happen. It's important to have it as an ideal. And yeah. so, yeah, one can make that argument about a lot of things. But anyway, we're off on the, we're off on the beaten path. Um, that is, we've got mail for this week. Thank you, everybody. What amazing questions this week. I got like, some What good a ones. really cool one. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. We apologize if we didn't get to your email. We'll, of course, be back next week. Um... Feel free to poke us if anything is super time-sensitive. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's it for We've Got Mail. If you want to write in, our
1: email address is letters at net. Whitney, once again, what is our uh, PO box? You can write us in a uh, physical letter, PO Box six four one five six five, Los Angeles, California nine double o six four.
0: And of course, uh, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William DeBiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. We have a Patreon. That's Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network. And in addition to getting a lot of exclusive shows, like uh, Only the Best, where we review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture, uh, or All Our Yesterdays, where we review every single Star Trek episode in order. We also have monthly hangouts with some of our patrons. Uh, so that's another way to contact. Us as well uh we have we need to schedule one of those actually really really soon so uh you haven't missed uh february yet that's still coming up and um yeah i
1: think Mm. that that's it.
0: That's <laughs> no, no kidding. Wow. Okay. Cool. Well, anyway, thank you, everybody, once again for listening. We think oh, you're uh, absolutely let, amazing. Yeah. Let, thank.
1: Let me plug my other podcast. Oh, by all well, means, yes, uh, yeah, uh, it's important. Yeah. Uh, all about Ovid. I was talking about Patricio Guzman and Love Diaz. Uh, the reason I've been watching some of these movies is because they're on Ovid, the Yay. Uh, the streaming service Ovid, O V I D, and uh, Ovid has a lot of deep cut art house films. And thanks to the respondently intelligent B Peterson, uh, she and I have a podcast together about Ovid. It's called. All about Ovid, but spelled with O's. Isn't that cute? O
0: l l o b o u t o v i d.
1: All about Ovid. You cannot. Ah. Have to, uh, you have to. You have to spell it correctly to find it online. Uh, but yeah, on uh, our last two episodes, uh, B and I talked to filmmaker Lynn Sachs, who is a, a experimental documentarian who has a lot of. She has a lot of films on Ovid, so. Uh, Yeah, tune into those conversations we have with Lynn Sachs, because it was a very long, very interesting conversation with an incredibly interesting artist. Um, And uh, I hope we asked some interesting questions. Lynn Sachs
0: retweeted that and was very, very complimentary. They seemed like they had a really wonderful time. So that's really exciting. I'm so jealous of you. That sounds like such a great (laughs) podcast. Anyway, so please check that out if you haven't already. Really incredible stuff over there. And Mm -hmm. um, I guess that's it for now. So we'll see you next week. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. We'll